Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the AEW Rampage and Battle of the Belts review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dudley Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened over the weekend on AEW Rampage and AEW Battle of the Belts. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Rampage and Battle of the Belts, but also AEW Dynamite, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2. But, oh, pay-per-views, bloody premium live events. Uh, we have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCoach, as I said, though, joined by Sidgwick to review Rampage and Battle of the Belts. Uh, mixed emotions about these shows, Sid. We're going to you know, do them in order eventually, but I suppose we should tackle the elephant in the room, AW Rampage being the sort of weekly B show that it is, and Battle of the Belts being supposedly this special attraction. It was a bit of a letdown on Saturday night, wasn't it? It was. I enjoyed it for what it was, but what it wasn't was something I anticipated when the... Yeah. I remember when the trademark was first filed, even before they announced what it was going to be or announced that it was even happening. Um, I really can't remember when it was. Maybe even it was as far back as this time last year. Mm. Regardless, I read a news article or The Observer or whatever, and it said, AEW files trademark for Battle of the Belts. Uh, because this company has such this glittering reputation... And you know for a fine fact that they are staffed by a bunch of wonderful Jim Crocker promotions marks and NWA marks and just basically old school wrestling marks. My immediate thought was, this is great because what it is is they can't, um, they don't own the copyright to Clash of the Champions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But this, through the alliteration and the concept from what, it draws, because I was an old-school Battle of the Belt mm -hmm. in addition to Clash of the Champions that were virtually the same thing. This is their version of doing Clash on a quarterly basis. This was their version of doing a B-level pay-per-view. And this was great because you knew they were going to do it justice. Mm -hmm. You knew it was going to be a big deal. And if anything, 12 is too much. 12 huge destination events is too much, right? Because you thought... Uh, you're going to weaken the concept of prestige wrestling. I never want AEW to lose something like that feeling you get the week before the pay-per-view. Such a great time to be a total, like, unashamed mark. Yeah, when you're so hyped and you're so hyped. And I thought, well, this is a perfect compromise because you're getting eight, essentially, with a tacit idea of, well, you're not paying for this one, so you're not going to get Paige Omega at Battle of the Belts, but you could get, like... Paige Danielson, something on that level, in addition to four other amazing matches for the males. What we got on Saturday was absolutely not that. What we got on Saturday was, if it was branded Rampage, and they gave me that hour, I would say eight out of ten Rampage. Yes. The fact that it was called Battle of the Belts, six is what I would give it. If it wasn't a bad show, I enjoyed most, if not virtually all of it, but it wasn't anywhere near what you had in your head. And what you had in your head was built there, planted there because of the reputation this company has. What I think has happened is that it was originally scheduled to be a two-hour yes. event. With it being two hours, you could fit in matches contested for every title, right? Somewhere down the line here, <laughs> there's been some kind of thing with Warner, TNT, and AEW Weather said, actually, we can only give you an hour. Mm. At which point, I don't want to say that they've took the huff 
to use a British idiom. <laughs> but there's certainly been a, oh, if you only give us an hour. Taking the foot off the gas. Taking the foot off the gas. If the, if the, if the network's only given us an hour on Saturday night, which is more of a social night, if they've, I just think they've turned around and went, all right, okay, well, we're not giving you the best. Mm. And we're not, therefore, giving the fans the best. And what we were left with was a glorified rampage, like not even a glorified dynamite, which is the big indictment of it all. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to draw a comparison to like a Saturday night dynamite. And then I was like, it wasn't even that. I mean, it, it may have been vastly different had Cody Rhodes been able to wrestle. But yes, he's a huge star. People don't give him enough credit for this. I think his star power would have elevated this card, this show. Uh, not to say that Dustin Rhodes didn't really, <laughs> if anything, try to overcorrect with yes. that awesome spot. Oh. That will stay with me for quite some time. But yeah, it just didn't really feel like anything that was in my head about a year ago, whenever it was. Yeah. Um, well, we'll talk about it in, in due course. We've got to get back to Friday night first, though, an AEW rampage. Uh, that show started with Jake Atlas versus Adam Cole. I hate this. This reminds me of when I, I, I go to watch like a, an MMA event and uh, one of my friends has said, oh, there's a really bad knockout or injury or something in this match and you don't know where it's going to be because I really enjoyed watching Adam Cole versus Jake Atlas, but I was every second going, when's he going to go for the springboard into the super kick? Because that's where I know where that's all going to go wrong. Like I say, we always try and avoid spoilers, but you couldn't really miss this. Um, before we talk about the match, uh, your thoughts on the pre-match announcement. Adam Cole now number one ranked wrestler in AEW. Looks like he could be potentially next for Hangman Page. We'll talk more about this on the Dynamite preview, obviously. But yeah, it's sort of snuck up on us that, hasn't it? I don't want to steal your gimmick, Wilborn. But uh, what have I been saying? For about two months. <laughs> yeah, Cole should be the next one. Cole should be the next one. You can beat him in a major match as a heel, which he can sell because he's Adam Goddamn Cole, baby. And because the value in him going forward in the long term is as a baby face. Yes. I booked this match basically since Paige won the title and Cole was racking up those singles wins and you got the um, finisher full. Even before then, I was thinking, this is the match. Beat him now because you get an awesome match. You get an instant awesome pay-per-view match with Hangman Page against a major star. You do right by Hangman Page's reign. At the same time, you lose nothing with having Adam Cole lose in that spot as a heel because his future is as a babyface. I think this is perfect, and that's pretty much why I booked it. Yeah, exactly. Before we get to your recap of the match and my thoughts on it, it's an incidental point. Have you noticed? Obviously, with an injury, it's different to a match result because it's news. I think generally, it is, the first two, three, four months of Rampage, um, I think a lot of people, and this is quite incredible by modern wrestling standards or modern like pop culture standards in terms of spoilers and how much they are just everywhere for almost everything. There was almost a collective agreement. I've had some arseholes pop in my replies who give away match results, but usually Twitter's quite good at identifying. I think Twitter looks at a first name and then a bunch of numbers and go, hide all them. <laughs> They've got nothing worthwhile to say. Um, but there was a genuine kind of collective agreement of let's not ruin this for each other. Um, indications of how good the match is, great, get hype. But yeah. I've never really, I find it very, very easy to avoid Rampage spoilers. And in terms of maybe how the show's feeling very much like a B show, that's kind of vanishing. Mm, yeah, um... Just horrible to, to to watch this match knowing where it was heading. And especially because I really got into it. Yeah. I thought Jake Atlas looked a million dollars when he came out. Um and and yeah, I credit to AW. I you know, I don't really go in a lot on the whole oh over there. But the fact that they were just like, look at these two in the ring together. They used to work together and they never had a singles match together. How bloody bonkers is that? Look what we're just hoying on for a Friday night, effectively. Uh, they work really well together um, early on. Back and forth, Cole misses a drop kick. Uh, Atlas gets in with a seated drop kick for a near fall. Goes up to the middle rope. Cole shoves him onto the floor and then sends him into the ring post. But then, as we are coming back from the break, Atlas starts to mount a camp comeback. It's a rolling forearm. Then he springs off the middle rope straight into a backstab. I'd love that from, from Adam Cole. Um Atlas hits a step-up Hurricane Rana that sends Cole to the outside. Then Tope Suicidas out there. 
gets back into the ring. Springboard drop kick, uh, but Cole gets a near fall off the Ushiguroshi fighting back. Uh, he also catches Atlas with an Itsuguri, but then Atlas fights back with a rolling clothesline. Cole hits a brain buster on his knee for a near fall, and then Atlas suplexes and sit out power bombs um, Adam Cole for a, a nice two count as well. And then the moment we'd all been dreading, uh, Atlas goes for a springboard, but gets hit with a super kick by Adam Cole. Uh, in the midst of all this, he's obviously done something to his knee. Uh, he immediately goes to selling that. Uh, and you can just see the referee trying to signal to Cole, he's not going to be taking this Panama Sunrise. Cole sets up for it and then thankfully realises, oh, goodness knows what would have happened if they'd attempted that. Instead, just, you know, in kayfabe, recognises the injury, takes down Atlas, knee bars him, uh, and very quickly... Jake Atlas taps out post-match. Out comes Red Dragon. They celebrate. He uh, cuts a quick promo. Cole starts beating down Atlas gently, thankfully, uh, because he's he's not going anywhere with, with that knee injury. Uh, fingers crossed, as he tweeted, he'll be back sooner than we think. But uh, in the midst of all this, Orange Cassidy uh, comes out to make the save. He's flanked by the best friends. He's got a steel chain. And before he can get his hands on Cole and Red Dragon, they get out of there. Thoughts on all this? Again, it was bittersweet because you can't watch it earnestly getting into the match. But as you said, they did really well to pull you in, even though like the the injury just kind of like sort of haunted the match, mm. if you like. But they still managed to pull me in. What I really like, and I've said this continually, they tried to do it with John Silver, carrying on from the BTE part, didn't work. They did it to far more successful effect with Orange Cassidy. And along similar lines, they kind of did it here. The joy with Adam Cole is he's got such a great face. Hmm. A wonderful, beautiful, expressive face. What you want to do in the context of a match and tell stories around his wonderful face is you want to rattle him. Jake Atlas doing counters to Cole's counters with Cole being one of the best counter defensive wrestlers alive. Jake Atlas being like a step ahead of him every single way. Rattled Cole. You got the wonderful face. You got some really unpredictable and cool counter sequences. There was this trending towards a really, really, really nice match. And then obviously... Uh, the injury happened. Um, Atlas himself has said that he'll be just fine. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of alluded to the fact that the injury isn't quite as bad as originally feared. So that's good. But as an actual taped match, knowing what we knew, it was all very bittersweet. Mm, indeed, yeah. Uh, very excited for these two to, to run it back. But like you say, anytime you see someone going down with a knee injury like that and, and anyone with knowledge of... ACL, MCL, all that sort of stuff. Basically, I don't really know medically exactly what it is, but there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong in yes. your knees. And anytime someone goes down selling that, especially when they've just gone to use it as a leaping platform, let's say, worrying. But like you say, fingers crossed he'll be back sooner rather than later because love Jake Atlas. Uh, this is when, uh, speaking of uh, medical developments, we found out on uh, Rampage, as we sort of suspected, that it was Cody Rhodes who is uh, unable to compete at Battle of the Belts, and instead his brother Dustin will be taking his place. And uh, I love the fact that he chose to crown an interim TNT champion. Good stuff. This is exactly, you know, I know we go back and forth on that sports-based, you know, feel that, that AEW uh, talked about early on. But this is exactly what I would expect in UFC, for example, if the world champion goes down. Indeed. My only... Uh complaint about this decision is that they might have to be consistent with it and given the fact that their wave is mm, where it's a good point deep into their wave like i was a bit worried by this decision i just felt like they were um tempting fate by establishing this as a device given that realistically there's a good chance it could happen to everything and that was well, that, that would make for quite a uh i don't want to see interims everywhere no no you know i, I mean? get it so yeah. and uh, well, it was addressed later on um, by Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky. Why Dustin Rhodes to replace Cody? I mean, we know why, but that muddies the waters a little bit as well. Yeah, thank God for dark and the meaningless uh, squash matches <laughs> yes. that I don't typically watch very much because every now and then they all add up to a lower Chiron where it says, "Oh, Dustin Rhodes is like 43, 40-3 <laughs> in twenty twenty one." Is he? <laughs> I just don't get beat most weeks. So yeah, Dark um, has this sort of like insidious secret function and it's all for things like this. Uh, they subsequently both cut sort of dueling promos about it. I don't want to talk about them. What I do want to talk about is the promo that came after that. Uh, Andrade El Idolo is there 
Piss funny, this. <laughs> With uh, Tony Schiavone, um, his uh, assistant's there, Jose. And he's talking about Sting. Sting and Darby Allen. And he's very confused. Uh, why does this little kid work for Sting? I think is one of the things he asked Tony Schiavone, who tries to explain. Uh, there's sort of a yeah, mutual appreciation of each other. No, I love it. Andrade, how do you know? His deadpan delivery. Right, I love it when you f- when people fake being inquisitive. I mm. find that very, very Just amusing. Just questions here. Yeah, I love it. Um, I think he said at one point as well, we're so busy. I haven't really been able to keep up with the Sting Derby Allen stuff. I, I, we're so busy that my assistant needs an assistant. And therefore, um, Sting, name your price for your little street urchin, effectively. <laughs> How much do you want for the little kid, I think was the technical term that he used in amongst all this. So, yeah, Andrade wants to buy Derby Allen. <laughs> I genuinely think this is the most interesting storyline that they've done with Andrade. It f- gives you a glimpse into this cruel prick character rather than, oh, this guy was a great wrestler. Okay, cool. This guy's great matches with Pac. Yeah, awesome. But then what? This generally feels like an actual storyline where the rich guy just constantly wants people on his side. It's kind of like something that Andrade has been doing quite often. And Andrade versus Darby Allen will be incredible. <laughs> I think initially... Imagine Darby Allen bumping off that spinning back elbow. Oh, coming off the top for a coffin drop. Elbow at the back of his heed. What I what, I don't want this, but it, what would be a very entertaining visual is Andrade comes out for a match against, I don't know, Dante Martin. That'd be tasty. Takes his jacket off and hands it to Jose, and Jose takes it. And then Jose takes his shirt off, because any more Jose, and takes his shirt and Andrade's jacket and passes it on to the assistant's assistant. And that's a very resplendently dressed Darby Allen. Oh, it would be preposterous, but... You know what? You know how, like, Jose, strictly speaking, good physique, mm. but, like, if he had his top off the whole time, you wouldn't ever talk about his physique. Mm. You would just think, that's a, he's a wrestler with a decent body, but because he's never seen it, you think, oh, Jesus Christ, Why look at the physique that? on that. What if I work a gimmick, right, where I decided to get secretly ripped underneath the jumpers that I wear in that's a shame. winter, and then, like, do a video podcast, maybe, in, yeah. like, May or June... Let's pop that shirt off. Just you can see a six-pack there. It wouldn't be the best six-pack in the world. I'm still pale and hairy, but people yeah. would think, Jesus Christ, I thought he was a chubby little bastard. Well, this is this is what I'm sort of secretly working towards. I've nailed the bulking part so Yes, far. yes. Everything else is probably going to be a bit of an issue. Yes. <laughs> but maybe you could get like a seven out, 6.5, 7 out of 10 bod. And because people think you've got a 5, mm. it becomes a 10. Exactly. It's a great idea, this. Uh, we have Should we get ripped together? Yes. I want to end up. Well, I've got I've got the hair of Hook right now because I haven't had a haircut in about two months. Everything else less so. Your hair is Seamus. <laughs> uh, Hook was next. He faced uh, not Comoroto or Agogo, but Aaron Solo. In the words of CM Punk, I believe doing uh, a cornet bit. No, no. He needs to stop platforming <laughs> dickhead trolls like yeah. CM Punk. He's very online. Doesn't have to be. Um, there was a send hook section I saw yes. as well in the crowd. More of that sort of thing. He's ridiculously over. Um, yeah, they didn't even bother with Solo's entrance. I did like the fact that they had Hook walk down, do his big entrance. Obviously, he's, like I said, he's, he's, he's a cra- huge crowd favorite already. And he does the the lap of the ring. And QT Marshall just sort of looks at him like, I know you. And Hook just... Just stares right through. I'm not sure even sure if he met eyes with him. He just walked straight past him. Nah, I'm, I'm here to do a job. I'm here to murder that dude in the ring. Uh, so thanks, but no thanks. Sort of QT. Um, they get into it. Hook again uh, outworks Aaron Solo on the mat. Uh, body blows in the corner. Look great. Um, he's in control. And then QT Marshall hooks the leg, uh, trips him up, gets his attention. That allows Solo to to recover and attack. Uh, hooked with some uh, with knees and what have you. He goes for an Irish whip, hook counters into a Russian leg sweep, uh, puts Solo in an octopus hold on the mat, um, hits the El Camino suplex. Uh, Solo fights back. He hits a jawbreaker. Um, then he hook catches him in the shoulder capture suplex. The old forearms that he does across the chin, which ugh, I think is the only thing that we'd say needs a bit of work. Uh, but then he locks in the red room, gets the submission victory, goes to walk out. QT Marshall pulls him back and says, come on, you know, we go way back, you and I. 
show a bit of respect sort of thing. Uh, swings for Hook. Hook dodges it, catches him with the head and arm suplex and walks out to another rapturous reception. Like, don't cancel me, guys, because I'm going to say something controversial about Hook that people might not like very much, but, you know, unbiased critic, mm-hmm, yeah. my usual pattern. This is probably his weakest match so far. That's fair, yeah. In the first one, you get the sheer novelty of Hook being awesome. You know, moves like pack, works like Taz, is how I put it. The second match, the graphic alone's like, oh, my God. <laughs> He's massive. He's going to deadlift or drop this massive guy on his head. He's going to do a judo takedown on this massive guy. He did all those things, and they were awesome. And he knows all the pile driver, just for the pants. He didn't do any new really cool stuff in this match. I think with a wonderful measured purpose because they are shooting a post-match angle, which is the takeaway. Why waste like a cool hook spot when he's working his first match that's genuinely just a pretext to do one of his more important matches? Yes. Um, And the Q team, I know people get on Q team Marshall's back because it's a bit nepotism, I guess, yes. How he formats the show alongside Tony Khan, and every now and then he gets a match where he's not the most inspiring of people to work. Even though I rate him, obviously he's very good. But like CM Punk in Chicago, that kind of annoyed me a little bit. Mm. But QT Marshall has been training Hook this entire time. They've been, they'll have had spots for, as soon as they've become aware, Hook's mint, um, he's TV ready, he's he's probably going to be a sensation. They've been building us one the whole time. All that time, he's been working spots with QT Marshall. So QT Marshall versus Hook is going to be great. Hook versus Aaron Solo was, dare I say it, perfunctory. Stepping stone. Yeah, I mean, it was just a match that functioned to build an angle towards what really will be a killer match. But we didn't get, I think, by design that didn't waste Hook doing a spot that's really going to pop people, um, knowing that this was just set dressing for something else. QT Marshall's going to wrestle some green as grass, newcomer to his gym on TV, stretch him, and then say, Hook, you're just like this trainee. I taught you everything you know, but I didn't teach you everything that I know. Yeah, There's your your setup sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We got over to the commentary table, and Ricky Starks announces that uh, Battle of the Belts, he's going to defend the FTW Championship against Matt Seidel, uh, all to send a message to Dante Martin, of course, needed three tries to beat Seidel, um, and Dante's going to be facing Powerhouse Hobbs, if I'm not mistaken. On Dynamite this weekend. Yeah. Uh, and then we get a pre-tape from the women who who I thought, oh, for God's sake, do we have to see them wrestle again? Yes, turns out we do, because they get a final brilliant blow-off to it all, uh, and they're reflecting on that wild uh, street fight brawl that they had with pissing blood everywhere. Um, and talking about how their legacies have effectively been shaped by this. And then we got the tag match, Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter versus Riho and Ruby Soho. This was, it's going to be a bit weird to talk about this, because this was a setup, obviously, for the title match that came the next night on Battle of the Belts. And we sort of got what we expected here, as in Riho once again showcased uh, and built as a threat that Baker just can't, pin or can't defeat uh, even with Jamie Hayter's help. Um, So they go back and forth. Baker gets in, takes a suplex from Ruby Soho. Uh, Ruby Soho's in control, but Rebel trips her. That allows Baker to hit a double underhook suplex. In comes Jamie Hayter, slides into the ring, knee strike on Soho. Um, Baker gets back in, gets the near fall, uh, and they target her together as we go to a break. When we come back, uh, Soho fights out of it, catches Baker. Baker with the Saito suplex. Riho comes in, shotgun dropkick on Hater. Uh, Tiger faint kick for a near fall. Uh, she launches off Baker to catch Hater with a, a sort of bulldog for a, for a two count as well. Goes for the double stomp, but Baker pushes her off the top. Uh, Hater catches her with a backbreaker. Uh, Baker f- comes in and hits her with a super kick for a two count. Uh, then as they are looking to double-team Riho, Hater catches Baker with a forearm. Riho rolls her up, steals one, but gets the victory. And, uh, well, this is going to play into the match on Saturday night. Issues between Baker and Hater uh, before Baker storms out post-match. Yeah, this did a decent job. The action was decent of establishing that Riho can, in fact, beat Britt Baker, that she's very resilient, so it will feel like she's 
going to beat there, even if Baker gets a two count or whatever. They did a decent job as well, I guess. They're really intensifying the Baker and Hater stuff at this point, um, deliberately so that not only does it advance that storyline, but it makes you think, well, maybe, just maybe, Hater's interference at Battle of the Belts will cost Baker the title. I didn't really buy any of it, and it just felt like a last-minute WWE slash New Japan generous WWE reality way of building a singles match. Yeah, and uh, well, we'll get onto it when we review the match. But it's I, I, I I'm a positive guy, uh, and uh, you know Jim Ross. He's had a lot of years in this business, and sometimes he can come across as a bit grumpy. But I have to say, a lot of times in the main event on Saturday, I was like, yeah, got a point. But this was obviously being used to to set that sort of thing up. Um, and we'll talk more about it when we get to when we get to Saturday night's main event. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, this is where we got Dan Lambert and the Men of the Year cutting a promo, pointing out this is bollocks. This uh, interim TNT Championship match. I mean, what do we have to do effectively to to get uh, Scorpio Sky to be in with another title match for all the matches he's won? He's gone so long without defeating a singles match, etc. Dan Lambert takes a, more, a few more jabs at. Bambi, I believe he called her yet again. Oh, Christ, man. But uh, valid points aside from maybe the Lambert and Brandy Rhodes I'm stuff. Done, I'm done with Dan Lambert and this promotion. Me yeah. and Hamlet were talking about this the other day, and my take is that the introduction of Dan Lambert in the specific kind of heat he generates, it feels like it's overlapped with... AEW fans not caring enough about the women's matches. I know that seems ridiculous given like the Battle of the Belts main event was really quite hot, whether you thought it was gratuitous or not. But I don't know, it just feels like there's a bro energy in the AEW live crowds at the minute. And Dan Lambert has got a lot to do with it. And I like my uh, my destroyer of masculine norms, Hangman Page, more than I like embodiment of masculine norms Dan Lambert yeah and I think uh, I think this would have worked far better it's all you know everyone can be smart looking back or whatever I think this would look work better in a sort of three month window I think the inner circle stuff you and I have, have talked about at a great length um, we'll put that to one side but at least if you drew, drew a line under that and then just had maybe the men of the year you know doing stuff on behalf of Dan Lambert at least that gives them a little bit of agency I just think now him doing more anti-bloody women stuff, but this time with Brandy Rose. I'm not, I'm not a naive moron. I understand that he's a heel, and I understand he's never going to win, but I just think it's cheap. Yeah, I agree. Um, one promo we did like, though, came before the main event. Oh, my God. So we meant to normally have this split screen back and forth. So you've got um, 2.0, Daniel Garcia one side, and you've got Kingston Santana Ortiz the other side. Kingston Santana Ortiz, not only did they not say anything, they didn't stick around. The, the interview starts... Uh, Jeff Parker uh, is, is cutting a promo on Eddie Kingston, telling him to shut up, and Eddie Kingston just nudges. Santana's always going to go, I think I can hear them over there. Should we just just get on with this? So they leave. Um, I do want to mention a line that have popped us on numerous occasions. Once again, from the sensational uh, Matt Lee, he's saying that Eddie Kingston is, uh, has come, with you know, talking about their excuses, Paul, you, that you pulled the tights. And he says, pull the tights this, pull the tights that, suck, suck my ass, pull the tights. Brilliant. Uh, and then, yes, as I said, Kingston, Santana, Ortiz, pile in. Um, and normally, Mark Henry would say something along the lines of this. Well, looks like we've had enough time. It's time for the uh, but this time he said, <laughs> well, looks like the match has already started. And then he did his little smile still. It's time for the main event. Prefer this? Just just crack on. I like how it's over. I like how they are experimenting with the format. I had a massive smile on my face watching this. Suck my ass! <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how I feel about them just going... You do know they're just over there. We'll just start the match now. It's but one of those where the next time they just stand there politely, it's going to feel like... If they ever... Yeah. Look, I'll forget about this. Never have Mox do this, basically, when he comes back. Yes. Because now you've established that he just would go, oh, you're there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'll give this a pass because it's Eddie Kingston. Um, and Matt Lee. And Matt Lee, yeah, of course. Um, 
So uh, they they pull a tights this, pull a tights that, suck my ass, pull a tights. <laughs> um, so it's just this wild brawl. I know you haven't watched SmackDown, but for those who have, God, I meant to bloody watch it. You have a DL. Well, I just the main I event for pleasure. Yeah, the main event of SmackDown uh, had a street fight in it, which uh, had a lot of spots that looked similar to this one. Uh, someone got taped to the ropes. Table spots, obviously, but I just thought, oh, where they've devised that from after this was shot on Wednesday. Yeah. Night. Yeah, I just wondered. Uh, anyway. Uh, they're going up the stairs and the buildings and everything, man. Yeah. These absolute hack losers. They uh, they brawl all over the place, uh, all three of them, uh, and it's very much not a, right, you do a, you two do a spot here at ringside. It's just on. There's uh, it's all over the place. There's weapons being involved. Uh, Garcia gets hit with a Kingston and Garcia do a lot together and I, I really enjoyed these two working together as always uh, Kingston gets the uh, aluminum minium trash can aluminum aluminum trash on, can pronounce it correctly and I just uh, just was really worried aluminum when he, you morons when uh, when he smashes it on his head I've seen two things that make me think Ugh. Please don't do that, Eddie. Number one, uh, one of our very own wrestlers in WCPW did that prior to a match and managed to bust his head wide open because you can form an edge, as they were talking about on commentary. And then I thought of it's always sunny when he gets hit in the face and goes, oh, it must have caught an edge. And he's bleeding out, basically. Don't Just just if you don't have to take a shot from an, uh, a garbage can. Trash can. Then, uh, then, then maybe don't do it. But anyway, uh, he rips off his shirt to use it as, as weapon to choke Daniel Garcia. In the meantime, as I said, all this is going on. Uh, Ortiz is just twatting Matt Lee with a mad ball on the entrance ramp. Uh, but Parker is getting offense on Santana. Uh, pump kick against the guardrail and then dropped him throat first on the barricade as well. A nice, nicely timed uh, Santana and Ortiz suplexed Parker and Garcia got suplexed by Kingston at the same time. But in comes Matt Lee to jump Santana uh, and he starts twatting him with the, I think it's Bert Kreishner, uh head to promote the, the Go Big Show. And just, just using that as a weapon, always very entertaining when you see stuff like that. Um, in the midst of the break, uh, Santana hit a pile driver on one of 2.0 uh, and Ortiz just, yeah, hit the other one with a well a weapon in a sock as we've seen used on many times whilst Garcia fought back on Eddie Kingston and used hardball yeah used the trash can lid to uh to take him out of the legs basically Santana hit a pop-up cutter on Parker uh, and then they flapjack Lee but Lee throws powder in Santana's face hits a DDT and gets a two count uh, Lee then hit a T- DDT on Ortiz as well uh Garcia Nails Eddie Kingston with the ring bell, but Kingston, to the surprise of everyone, kicks out at two. Um, Kingston gets suplexed through a table at ringside by 2.0, and Parker hit Ortiz with a low blow, but Santana comes back with a steel chair to take out all the heels. Garcia one-on-one with Ortiz. Santana and Ortiz eventually double-teaming Parker. Santana finishes off Parker. Discus Lariat to get the victory, of course. Chris Jericho's on commentary, so what should happen post-match? They just start hoying everyone in the bollocks, beating down Eddie Kingston and taping him to the ropes. But who should make the save but one Chris Jericho? Yeah, turn him heel in this feud with Eddie Kingston and make it a shortcut-laden plunder brawl. For a split second, I thought he was going to do the old, let's get you off the ropes, and then, I don't know, a code breaker or something. Like this Chris Jericho babyface stuff dying on the vine. Given that the extent to which people are just completely souring on Chris Jericho, how his star power is kind of very slowly fading, and how much they know people of Eddie Kingston, I have become convinced that this company who knows what's going on are thinking, right, time to turn Jericho heel again, and who better? You know what? Jericho should do business for Kingston. Like, all will be forgiven if he turns heel and does business for Kingston, gives him a big career win. Like, all of this, like, apprehension about None of these 50-50 bollocks, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. One match, Eddie Kingston wins, and we get to the position that we arguably should have had when he first really caught on fire again after that Players' Tribune article, and we thought, what are they doing here? Yeah, Just a yeah. side detour with, uh, detour with Chris Jericho. But what did you make of the match? I thought it was great. I thought it was great. I've got a wild take, right, about TV wrestling that no TV exec in their right mind would go for. Remember in 2019, 
WWE started thinking, ah, people don't like it when we deprive them of action in the commercial breaks. Let's make every match two out of three oh, falls God. so you're not missing anything, right? I always thought, like, what would annoy me, but in a way that's like, oh, well, I can't, I wouldn't, you wouldn't do this all of the time, but it would annoy me if I'm watching, not on fight because I see all of it. It's like, if, you watch, if you're watching a match, it's deep in the battle. It's like, I'm sorry, I know they're going haywire on each other's faces, but we have to take a commercial break. I'd be like, oh, I have to, I have to stick around. If I see a suicide dive, it's like, right, okay, well, we'll come back after this. You know they're just going to do rest holds for a minute. What I loved about this match is that it felt so chaotic that it didn't really, the match didn't seem to mind if the camera didn't capture it all, mm -hmm. which in itself deepened my investment because it made it really feel like a fight. The use of plunder was minimal. They didn't use any kind of really um, protracted assembly spots where they're just setting up like a ridiculous deranged bumper or there. It felt like we're having a fight and it doesn't matter if the capture, cameras capture it or not because the cameras wouldn't be able to pick up a fight. It's mm. meant to be this chaotic, energetic, unbridled thing that isn't a performance. It just felt like this really cool, intense fight throughout which Eddie Kingston's selling was amazing. And it was just so out of the shop in terms of who's where, who's doing spots where, that it just felt like they were not doing anything for the benefit of the cameras. I understand it's TV wrestling, Rebecca stares down a ringside camera. It, there are different ways to do it, mm -hmm. is what I'm driving at. You can either make it seem perfect and you can do things that are maximized for the perfect camera angle, or you can take this route. And I think my prevailing, sorry, pervading thought ahead of this match was oh, I just saw a bloody match, a bloody tag with no DQ rules last week. Given that I'm not really into the story at all, like, what's my appetite for another match of this type? And it turns out they had a completely different match yeah. to the one between Christmas and New Year, um, in which the tone and the chaotic energy was so much more immersive and gripping than any kind of, like, thumbtack mm. or bump. Uh, I thought this was a tremendous bit of business, and I'd like to see the way in which it was... Because it was carefully thought about to make it feel like it was just this impulsive fight. Yes, exactly. I would like to see more of this energy on national TV in general. Huge, huge fan of the way this was done. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Right, let's transition over to Battle of the Belts from Saturday night. Belts. Um, we got uh, the TNT, well, the interim TNT championship match to start things off. Sammy Guevara uh, versus Dustin Rhodes. David Crockett ringside to uh, present the championship to the winner. Um, 
I got sort of mixed emotions about this match because we're going to get to the spot you know we're going to talk about and I pop a little tits off for that. Uh, and there are other spots that I really enjoyed throughout this, but I also felt, oh God, you can tell Dustin Rhodes is, is of a certain age in certain aspects of this match. And then in other ones, I thought he was a very wily little veteran. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, but early on, uh, Guevara, after a, you know, tightly fought early contest, takes control, roll up, drop kick, sends Dustin out to the floor. Uh, there's on Anderson, of course, <laughs> to which... Uh, Sammy Guevara does the, the, the gun signal at him and on just just flips him off. Um, he uh, allows Dustin Rose to recover. He sends Guevara's knee into the steel steps and then just Dustin just pile drivers him on the floor um, to take control throughout the break. When we come back, uh, Guevara tries to make a comeback but gets cut off by a nice snap power slam from Dustin who takes him into the corner, does the old 10 punches, but Guevara countered a monkey flip, uh, takes Dustin Rhodes down with a clothesline. He then takes him out with a double springboard flip dive. Um, but as he tries to follow up with a springboard cutter, uh, and they're, they're talking about the injured leg of, of Guevara with what happened earlier on and how he's a little bit wobbly on the top rope. That allows Dustin to reverse it, catch him, hit him across roads uh, for a two count. Uh, Dustin also hits a code red. I thought that was going to be the big spot possibly of Dustin's match. I was wrong. Uh, goes up top, Guevara stops him uh, and hits him with a GTH for a near fall. All of a sudden, Fuego del Sol, uh, who has subsequently posted a photo of him hiding underneath the <laughs> ring, pops out from underneath it, sets up a table, encourages his best mate, Sammy. Uh, here comes Arm, or, or I should say Armed Anderson. Um, Guevara tries to Spanish fly Dustin through the table that's been set up, but Dustin reverses it and hits a Canadian destroyer off the apron through awesome. the table. And it was just perfect as well. I've never felt... A- the spot was so perfectly executed. Sorry, I know I'm disrupting your flow no, no, here. No. I apologize. But while it's at the top of my head, the way this registered the spot, the perfect execution, that satisfying noise crunch and snap of a table. A table in American TV wrestling has rarely seemed as thick as this one did. And I know it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. I know it was a normal table. It wasn't a Japanese table. But just everything about the spot the incredulity factor of them even doing it, the perfect execution, just the pleasing way it's standing. It just felt like a thicker table than most. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think Guevara pulled it off expertly as well in terms of remaining safe, but also making Dustin Rose look absolutely incredible and an absolute killer uh, in that moment. Uh, I spoke to Hamlet about this earlier, I think off air, um, and he said he was so impressed by that spot, he was like, that's when they should have just taken it home. They went slightly longer. He brings Guevara into the ring. Guevara kicks out. Uh, Dustin hits two more crossroads. Um, can't get the match one, though. Teases the Tiger driver. But Guevara escapes, takes Dustin down with a kick. Uh, they exchange cradles, and then Guevara, out of nowhere, pins Dustin Rhodes to win that interim title. David Crockett comes in, pops it around his waist. Uh, Sammy Guevara celebrates, but before he can actually properly celebrate, in comes Daniel Garcia to square right up to them. Uh, they brawl. Officials come out to separate them, and post-commercial, uh, Guevara cut a promo challenging Garcia to uh, a TNT, well, interim TNT championship match on Dynamite. He said he'd defend this title just like he'd defend the real thing, effectively. We'll talk about that in a sec, but finally, your uh, reflections on the match. It's a strange one to review this because there was so much to love about it, and I'm going to put over that which I loved about it. But at the same time, there were moments where I kind of the lost me or I felt like the pacing was a bit drab. I maybe think this would have functioned better as a main event where you kind of expect things to go a little bit slower for them to build the investment because they went to do the exhausted selling on the outside like way earlier than you could maybe convincingly ask a crowd to buy that they are fatigued. Yeah, there was a spot with, with sorry to interrupt, there was a oh, spot sorry. with uh, Dustin selling exhaustion, and I thought, oh, they're doing his old and broken down sort of thing. And then I realized, oh, no, Sammy Gora's right next to him selling the exact same thing. And it's like... Because Dustin is his comedy spot. It's like, oh, I can't actually keep up with you guys after all. I'm very old. But he did have like two minutes. And then they just, he didn't like, do a f- he wasn't feigning. It was just uh, a few weird pacing Slapped the mat a few times to get a bit of a clap going. And that was about it. That's what I yeah, got from it. Like, there was just a few pacing issues where I thought this would have functioned better in the main event slot when fans are more, mm. the want to be brought back up. But they're up 
to begin with at the start of the show. Yeah. So I think maybe the sequencing of the card was a little bit wrong. Um, but at the same time, correct me if I'm wrong, right? Because I don't think I heard this because I was a little bit taken aback and then I, it dawned on me, it clicked what they were doing halfway through and I thought it was really clever. Justin Roberts at the start of this match didn't say, given the unique nature where someone has to win the interim title, this interim title can change hands on a count under a disqualification. Mm, I, th- I feel like it was discussed on commentary. Yes, but, but Justin because the live fans didn't get that element of it at all. And when the commentators pointed it out, I thought, that's really clever. But they should have announced this live because mm. the fans aren't picking up and they aren't reacting. They are simply reacting to any kind of count out tease in the first four minutes of a match where you think, oh, this can't be the finish. <laughs> or if it is the finish, it doesn't mean anything because it's the title match. So I really thought they should have uh, had Justin Roberts hammer that point home. It's sort of a bit of an issue, AEW, you've got that. If, you, if you're going to suggest things that they can improve this year, cluing the, the live fans on, because I've heard people talk about it as well with the the draws that they've had, that they have only really sort of announced, I don't know, five minutes or two minutes or whatever it because is remaining. Because Justin Roberts sometimes goes, oh, if I'm right. Yeah. It's like Vince is doing the timekeeper duties. Because <laughs> <laughs> like in New Japan, their announcers are so great. What they do is like five minutes past, 10 minutes past, 15 minutes past. And then when there's like 10 minutes to the left, like five minutes left, like they dial it up, the more it becomes more urgent. And like, hmm, one minute left in this match. It's like, sell it! Yeah, it, 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 it's all or nothing, isn't it? I'm, I'm not suggesting that... Uh, well, my thing is, is you can't turn around and suddenly say, having not said it in, you know, the majority of the other things, five minutes left. You, you either do every, you know... He says you want to do ten-minute intervals just to, you know, not be doing five minutes because every match goes five minutes. It's not WWE. But he says it all the time. You just never notice it because yeah. he doesn't say it long enough. They should That's be... Point, he yeah. should be saying five minutes gone by... 25 20 minutes. remaining oh, yeah, or whatever yeah. the... Uh, 15, because I think the TV That's matches... It, yes. well, either way, I thought they tried to tell a nice story about, oh, hang on, it's the interim title. I don't actually have to do anything here. That was clever. That was good. The use of add-ons was good. That spot was fantastic because it tells the story of Dustin Rhodes will never, ever go down without a fight. Him doing these spots, like, indirectly puts over the next generation of talent because he knows he has to take these insane risks. He's not just putting Sammy Guevara over. He's putting a generation of talent over. He's putting a promotion that promotes a new generation of talent over. Sky's invaluable. Um, I could also picture, not to have a go, but... I could also picture in Cafe Fuego del Sol going, Sam, do you want me to uh, hide under the ring and get a table out midway through the match? And him going, yeah, if you want. Like, yeah. he's not he's not going, do that, that's going to win us the match. It's like, yeah. it's Dustin Rhodes. Um, he's, he's a cock, cocksure fellow. Absolutely. I'd say Sammy Guevara. Um, but yeah, any time I get to see Armed Anderson, yeah. it's good by me. Sammy Guevara taking crossroads is incredible. How's he still got a neck? It always looks like it's killed him. Um, but yeah, I think there were some pacing issues here and some communication issues about the unique unique nature of the stip. And you had a problem with, well, not a problem per se, just it's getting on your nerves a little bit, Sammy Guevara coming out and challenging. Yes, yes, here's the thing. I thought the post-match with Guevara and Garcia genuinely felt like this dickhead punk that Garcia is. He's trying to get in people's business where he hasn't earned or hasn't... Stealing his moment as well. He's going to have a nice moment. handshake with Dustin... I thought the brawl was hot. Like, that brawl got me so hyped on the idea of them working a match on Dynamite and bang up for it. That post-match angle. How many times have you seen a physical angle, whether it's a beatdown or a brawl that has to be contained? Every show. It's redundant. It's beyond redundant in AEW. This one was so good in their chemistry and the tone of it was so good that it made me actually hyped for the match when usually it's just a narrative obligation. And yet it cuts to Guevara backstage and his go-to is really winding me up. I don't know why. Why is that? Because I'm a consistent professional wrestling analyst. One of my uh, pet peeves in NXT, and it has been since 2019, Pete Dunne just shrugs when he gets beaten up or when he sees someone getting beaten up or when he's asked about a potential challenge or what he wants to do. He always goes, I don't, don't care. care. Sammy Guevara says either, Oh, you want to come at me? You haven't done sh. And I'm the TNT champion, but you haven't done sh. 
So it's funny because you haven't done sh- except say other people haven't <laughs> done sh- It's like your go-to shtick now. It's kind of really, really, really winding me up. It feels like he doesn't know how to perform as a champion. He doesn't know how to, like, develop as a champion. Yeah. Um, I don't think potentially he's a worthy champion. That sounds harsh, right? Uh, maybe it's a babyface thing because he works. He's a tremendous babyface worker. But... um. In terms of getting his character over, in terms of keeping himself interesting, I find he... Thi- it's much... Sammy Guevara, week to week, was one of the best heels in the first year of AEW. Mm. He was incredible at doing various little things to keep himself over, keep himself interesting. He's struggling to do it as a babyface. IMO. Ricky Starks defending the FTW Championship against Matt Seidel came next. Um, again, just uh, mixed emotions about this. I love Ricky Starks. I love Matt Seidel. I love Ricky Starks wrestling Matt Seidel. I don't appreciate... Oh, my leg. I'm really... Oh, actually, no, it's fine now. I can just carry on. Though. Oh, my leg. I've done that again. It's, uh, they did leg stuff in the first match. Yeah. Either someone's had a genuine tweak that they've been able to work through, or the agenting is very loose. Mm. It just it, it was inconsistent, which is me being pernickety, because as we always say, we grade these shows differently to other shows because we hold them to a higher standard. Um Early on, side out. It's a quick standing, twisting moon sulk. Uh, rolls Starks up, gets a two count. Uh, Hobbs is there. He's running interference out on the floor to allow Starks to take control during the break. Um, Seidel comes back, though, sliding knee strike. Uh, they're up top. Starks wants the uh, Rochambeau, but uh, Seidel turns it into a top rope Frankensteiner and a Mishinoku driver. That gets him a great near fall. Uh, another near fall as well off the lightning spiral. He hits a Meteora, uh, but Starks is too close to the ropes. He gets his foot on the ropes. That was a great spot. I want to put that over as a great spot, the way it used, was timed. He used also Seidel, because it was the leg he was he yeah. was um, raising, obviously. And so he, he used that, used that momentum. momentum. Yeah, yeah, I really like like that as well, looking back. Uh, Starks fights back, though. Spear, Rochambeau, one, two, three. He defends the FTW Championship. Post-match, there's a beatdown. Lee Moriarty runs out to try and make the save. I just, oh, my God, I got shivers when Moriarty comes in, tries to make the save, turns around, and just gets, I believe the phrase is, trucked, trucked by Powerhouse Hobbs. And he does that snarl. For someone who I've read and heard about, is just such a top bloke. He's got this incredible emotional history. My God, he just he just it can make a snarl seem just... He looked 10 foot tall yeah. when he did that. Um, Dante Martin runs down, uh, faces off with, with Hobbs, uh, and uh, actually drop kicks him out of the ring. Team Taz retreat of the Rambert. Uh, obviously, Ricky Starks has got his FTW championship, but it sets up the match on Dynamite on Wednesday night. But, uh, yeah, your thoughts on everything. Um, there were some really nice creative spots, and not just cool reversals, which I'm a mark for, but the one we just highlighted there about um, getting to the ropes because you've used your opponent's momentum against you. Very, very good. I don't take this, dear listener, is a way of saying, I want everything to look fabulous and clean and cooperative because I understand that wrestling's meant to be a struggle. You're meant mm-hmm. to emulate the struggle. That's where the best wrestling matches come from more often than not. This felt not particularly cooperative in not that ideal way. There were moments where I f- could not escape the reality that Ricky Starks barely wrestles. And I think he's a great wrestler. And I think you should wrestle more. I understand his neck issues maybe prevent Tony Khan from promoting him as much. But there was just certain moments in this match that took me out because I'm thinking they are... I don't want to say the word sloppy because it wasn't just... Not messy either, just... On different wavelengths. Slightly different wavelengths. One guy wrestles more than the other. Far more, in fact. And I just felt like Ricky Starks at times was working himself back into the rhythm of performing. And if he was just booked every week like the guy should be, Mm -hmm. that wouldn't be the case. Um, I feel like I've been saying this about Ricky Starks for a year. Much of of that year has been spent on the shelf. I get that. But, yeah, he needs to be wrestling way more often than he is. And I think um, this is apparent given certain moments where they seem to pause, buffer during the match. Um, But a lot of the... Conceptually, a lot of the ideas they had in here were very, very mm. good. Just the execution at times lost me. 
not to tread on our toes for uh, for Wednesday, but my God, I can't wait to Dante Martin powerhouse Hobbs. I know they've already done it, and the, it, I think that was a similar issue where two guys who are still a bit green with some great ideas and the execution was a bit lacking. Hopefully they can build on the first match, they're more familiar, and they'll do a much better one. I just... Cincinnati, that's a deep pull. That's, I think it was a Cincinnati yeah. dynamite. Just that sneer, man. Can't get that out of my head for some reason. <laughs> uh, all right, main event time. Uh, it's the AW Women's World Championship. Britt Baker versus Riho. And another chapter in Britt Baker's title retention through interference. I think this was the big complaint a lot of people had coming off the back of this show. And I'm sure Sidgwick uh, feels the same way. Uh, the interference, um, as I mentioned earlier, was infuriating for Jim Ross, and it, it was from moment one, effectively. Uh, it he was uh, in a bad mood. Yeah, he all went, show long. Was it, it was, I think this, yeah, this is the bit where they went to set up the table, and he went, "Great idea, get yourself disqualified." He was in a bad mood when Ricky Starks was swiveling his hips. That was another bit. Yes, I was and trying to remember. Like, he said. What was the point of that or something? It's just like he's a heel showboating during an ad break to get the crowd on board and he's a heel. Yes, because I was How watching... many heels have I seen either do a barrel roll, like swivel their cocks about? It's weird because obviously, like I say, a lot of the time I see the TV version. I was watching this one on, on Fight and, uh, yeah, they, 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 no, there's, there's not, for me, a, a tangible change too much to the commentary when they know that they're... I mean, obviously, people are watching on fight. Well, still, you know, they're not going to just sit there with their arms crossed. But there wasn't a tangible change from when they're like, "Well, oh, you're live on telly now," to, to you just, you know, you're on fight or whatever. But there was moments and I was like, "Ooh, should this be going out?" Like you say, him just going, oh, "What's all this bull?" And I, I was like, "Well, I get it." But Ricky Starks would not have done well on the Ross report this week. No, 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 it's definitely not. But yeah, he was, he was within his rights, I think, for this match. I want to see him swivel them hips. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And when, I, when he did the entrance and he does the pose, and I thought, oh, God, it's been bloody ages since I've seen yeah. that. Fantastic. Uh, anyway, in the in the women's uh, title match, like I say, there was interference uh, from moment one of this match. Uh, it allowed Baker to take control with Rebel and Hater distracting her. Uh, Riho got some separation, uh, went for a diving crossbody. Baker just moved out of the way, and Riho dived onto Hater instead. Any spot with Rio and Hater doing a dive, I'm, I'm kind of okay with because I have flashbacks to that. So the oh. best bump Rebels ever took, possibly, possibly, yeah, it was good stuff. This, um, uh, and I, I had flashbacks to, to Hater taking that bump from from Rio. Yeah, she jumps, such a simple thing, just jump. It probably won't hurt you as much, and it looks awesome. Um, so uh, in the midst of all this, Rebels just dead. She got squashed by this crossbody, but. Uh, uh, they go to set up a table. There's uh, Hater and Baker getting involved. And I think this is the spot where Rio ran up yeah, the table. Yeah, awesome. Loved it. Uh, nailed Hater with a kick. Um, as we go to a commercial break, Breaker. Ba- Breaker? Uh, not not him. That's uh, Tuesday nights, isn't it? Baker, even. Um, regains control. Uh, stomping Rio down. Rio fights back, though. Double stomp. Uh, rising knee. Tiger faint kick. That gets another near fall. Uh, she puts a single leg crab, uh, which she does a wonderful lean back to bridge into. Um, but Baker just manages to make it to the ropes to force the break. Uh, she goes for a top rope double stomp. Baker's out on the apron at this point, and Rebel just smothers uh, Baker to protect her, and this is when Jim Ross just loses it, like, get them out of there. Um, but obviously this isn't the spot to get Rebel out of there, so he's just him... His old man shouts at Cloud again. Um, Baker dodges uh, the top rope double stomp. Rebel took the hit on the initial first one and hit an air raid crash for a two count. Sets up for the lockjaw. Riho avoids that and just slapped her across the face instead. Uh, Bra- Baker, though, counters a dragon suplex, goes for another lockjaw, but Riho gets to the ropes. Um, again, more and more interference to... to you know, continue this story. I get what they're doing with with uh, with Hater and Baker, but it did just take you out, or take me out of the match. Uh, Baker uh, goes for the lockjaw again. Rio rolls her up uh, for a nice uh, near fall that a lot of the crowd bit on. Um, Baker hits a curb stomp, gets uh, two counts stunningly. Uh, Rio kicks out of it. So Hater brings the belt into the ring. Um, 
This gets blamed on Rebel. Rebel finally gets ejected, and as uh, Sid alluded to earlier, this was the moment where they were presumably telling us, oh, now that would just leave Jamie Hayter to help Baker at ringside, and she could screw her and cost her sort of everything. More discord within the group, basically. Um, Riho actually used all this distraction to hit a nice Northern Lights suplex for a two-count. Um, Baker counters, hits an up-kick, curb-stomp, uh, gets another near fall, uh, and when she realizes she can't pin her, she just finally locks in the lockjaw for the submission victory. Post-match celebrations, there's a little bit of ill will, let's say, between Rebel and Hater and Baker, but it's all good. They all eventually put that to one side. Hater hands Baker the title. They all celebrate. Britt Baker retains. Uh, there was some... Uh, issues with with this match nonetheless though yeah like it worked for the live crowd they were absolutely up for every single near fall and one of the reasons why they were up for every single near fall one is because Riho was incredible two that bit where she got I think it was the up kick was hilarious yeah. unintentionally unintentionally but Riho was incredible and she orchestrated this atmosphere with her incredible work that the crowd were white hot for and again I'm watching it I'm thinking I love watching Riho. It's bittersweet that she's going to get now after this. I, I was getting actively annoyed watching Riho be brilliant because I know for a fact she's getting now after this for another three months. She might get like a Jade match in three months or something like that, but they're not going to feature her consistently on TV. I'd be very naive to think otherwise, and that made me sad. I understand why the interference is incredibly redundant and gratuitous, and the gratuitous nature of the interference was brought into focus, and this wasn't ideal, by Jim Ross over and over again complaining about it. And I can kind of understand why he needs to retain his credibility. He can't look like an idiot. He needs to be the authority. He needs to have the gravitas to make all of this work. They wanted it to make you really feel like this was the night Hater messes everything up for Baker and Riho wins the title. To that end, they got a really, really hot crowd. But when you take a lot of shortcuts, like a live crowd's going to be in it into it rather you need to think of the fan at home and how much they're going to roll their eyes so I can understand why it didn't work for many people at home and why it worked so much in the audience mm-hmm. on that basis I just think Riho's great and um, some of her stuff looked fantastic like she knees first and Baker's nose that are oh, like the wrench back on that submission hold really really worked and it's one of those where like once being a nerd and like really really think about how often she kicked out things. If you were to count them, you'd think, oh, that's excessive. But it never feels like it's excessive when it's Riho. She just always feels like a gutsy, resilient, awesome baby face who requires to uh, loads and loads of um, offense to put away. Yeah, exactly. Riho is, is not someone I would want to see turning around and, you know, lifting Nyla Rose up and power bombing her left, right, and center. What I want to see, and what we get a lot of the time from Riho, which plays into her character is you hit her with your best shot or, or best moves or you know finishes or whatever, and somehow, whether it's 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes into the match, and she's you know she's 90 pounds or whatever, she's getting ragdolled all over the place, and yet she's still there. Yeah. And you talk about that, you know, those forearms getting more and more aggressive yeah. and vicious. That's the way you should present her. But I'm concerned, as you said, that, you know, this presentation took, you know took a lot away from the match, and now you ain't going to see Rio uh, on TV, let's say, for months maybe. Yeah, it pisses me off, because like, if you watch her work in this crowd, she really, really knows how to get over, which is such a joy to watch, even when she's essentially a bit part player in an ongoing saga. Interested to see what happens next for, for Britt Baker, uh, and yeah, I think, I think this story has maybe run its course. Yeah, like get to the point. At this point as well, not only is it redundant, not only have they teased the Discord for far too long at this point to the fact that it's overshadowed so much of Britt Baker's opponents, but they're both kind of idiots if it doesn't end here. Yeah. If if neither of these women realises, if Britt Baker doesn't realise, she's just trying to uh, get close to me so she can get close to the title or whatever, by Wednesday, if this doesn't really combust within the next two weeks, everyone involved just looks like a moron. And you need to sort of reset the clock on uh, partners turning on each other because you've already got 
mm. talked about it for since arguably the first few months of AEW. But the MJF Wardlow thing, I don't want them to be a, any any crossover there for me. Yeah, no, you don't want to make it redundant. Um, well, two great episodes of AEW Rampage, but uh, in reality, one slightly disappointing yeah. AEW Battle of the Belts. I'm um, AEW out. Mm, indeed. Uh, but let us know your thoughts on, on both I shows. I say that. No, exactly. Let us know your thoughts on both shows on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, watch there. You can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at M. Sidgwick. You can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, and make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts are a review of SmackDown is available right now, and our preview of Monday Night Raw is coming a little bit later on today. Um, but for now, this has been the AEW Rampage and Battle of the Belts review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.